Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Wolverine to my Cyclops. That's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? It's because I'm hairy, isn't it? It's the, it's the beard-mustache combo, the beard. for yeah. sure. And also your tenacity and height. And also the fact that I have blades that come out of my knuckles. Yeah, that too, of course. Uh, and joined, as always, by the Gambit to our Cyclops and Wolverine. That's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? Man, you totally could have gone Colossus. I would have accepted Nightcrawler. I think Eric would have been happier if I, and I would have been happier with Gambit. I think than Eric was. I know. This my, is two weeks in a row. My goal was to really make hurting. my goal was to make Eric mad with my pick because I know <laughs> I was trying to think what X Men does Eric probably like the least. Yeah, you the you, Jubilee. You, to my, <laughs> hey, at least you Jubilee. It. At least Jubilee likes Pearl Jam. Let's let's just roll the tape. Roll the tape. Nope, here we go. So we're in it. So the Seahawks last week, they headed into Dallas Cowboys, and we all picked the Cowboys. uh, And for the second time this season. And for those of you that are Patreons, you know that uh, on the Picks Podcast, I actually went 15-1 and on my picks last week. This was the only game I had a bad read on. Uh, So the Seahawks went into Dallas, and every time we all pick the other team, what what happens, Kevin? That'd be a Seahawks win. Yeah, they, and we've actually talked about this a lot, how sometimes we coordinate maybe a little uh, little reverse jinx, a uh, little, uh, little backwards pick, where we all pick the other way so that we can try to get the karma turned around. This and, wasn't uh, one of those times. We really were just salt, super salty it about this game. It, it didn't work quite the way I expected, uh, because the team didn't play like super great. I would argue half the team played super great. Uh, should we start with the offense here? Yeah, please. Let's please let us start right, with let's, the offense. Let's start with the uh, bad out of the way. The was I think it's the second time in modern NFL history a team has had more penalty yardage yards. against than offensive yards in a win. And the a- offense had 136 total yards. We racked up 142 penalty yards. They had 76 offensive plays. We had 57 offensive plays. We did not put together a good offensive game, did we, Nathaniel? Uh, Okay, there's one thing we did good, and that is we protected the football. If there's anything that we won this game because of, it is because of toxic differential. Okay, and I'm just going to throw that out there. There was the, the one the Mike team, Davis fumble. That's it. But we didn't. We didn't. And give Russell it to them. recovered it. Russ, yeah, we recovered it. So it was, and it was a weird handoff, and uh, that we can analyze that play. I, I, let's go ahead and go into that play. I mean that. The running back tried to squeeze the ball, and Russell put it in a weird spot. And he's—they need to make—you need to make a more definitive choice. Have you noticed yep. that Russ actually the, does that with Mike Davis on an option? They, they are not very good at. Yeah, well, at, that's uh, you have to think they haven't done a lot of snaps together. That's it's that, that's be a it. practice thing. You gotta that, like if you're a running back, uh, you're not gonna practice regular handoffs. This is the pra- handoff you need to practice because it's weird. Uh, it's weird. The, the running back has to get a good grip, and he has to really understand when is it gonna be mine and when is it gonna be Russ's, and they they don't have that clear connection yet. And uh, that play kind of showed it, but doesn't matter. Russell was all over it. Yep. He, that was a great heads up play by Russell, and it ended up, you know, saving. That saving was a that. spot where they could have turned the game against us, saving the drive or whatever, saving the the drive there. But they had three turnovers, and so we protected the ball. We did really good at that. Things we didn't do good. Let's just start with the play calling. Um, I'm I've been the, <laughs> I'm the number one world's bevel apologist, but you know what? The first ten plays of the game are scripted. That is the plays where you dig into last week's tape and you decide how are we going to attack their defense. And the first ten plays for the Seahawks, week after week after week after week, are horrible. Okay, I'm not I've not seen the least less successful first ten plays out of a team. We have not scored a touchdown drive in almost two year, seasons on the first drive of the game. Okay, it's enough is enough. Like, how much do I need? Do we need to see? It's just you reach a point where you just it drives you to insanity. Like, I love this team, but this is driving me crazy. And well, the thing what, is, our first four drives, you look punt, at punt, punt, punt. Well, gentlemen, to also offset this, if you're looking at something Nathan also likes to say, and that's maybe we're saving the read option for later in the season. Or yeah, are well, we saving things for later in the, the year in this, the playbook? The answer to that is no, because our playbook is looking worse as the year goes on. The Seahawks had one drive over three and a half minutes in length, and it was in the drive number nine. It was the only good drive of the game. Uh, we went 79 yards. Even the drives around that were horrible. Nine, nine, three, five plays, nine yards, punt. Three plays, one yard, punt. Five plays, five yards, punt. Okay, like th- these, we played like we never. They had good good to decent field position a lot in the, kind of towards the middle half of the field. Uh, John and Ryan because, had himself another middling game. John yeah, John Ryan is good but he's not he's not 65 yards in the air anymore, you know. He's 37 years old. Like that that wasn't going to be forever, right? And he's still good. 
but like we are putting a lot of pressure on him where he has to kick from his own end zone a lot mm-hmm. he has to kick from a weird awkward positions uh and that that's tough that's all difficult things we're asking him to do when we should be trying to make his life easier as he moves to an older and older age right so it, that's frustrating for me um russ okay <laughs> this, this game was all over the place for him 21 attempts for 93 yards, a little 93 less than... 93 yards from Russell five, Wilson. Oh, uh, a little less than a... You know, just a shade... There goes the MVP discussion. Yeah, no MVP for you. You're you're done. You're out of that one. Really, you can't have a hair under four and a half yards per attempt and make an MVP case? Nope. Took three sacks, including a 20-yard sack that I thought was... Um, that 20-yard sack was rust this season. That was the most embarrassing thing I've seen. Two of those sacks... I like one of them. I was like, "Oh, if Eddie screwed that one up." One of them, I was like, eh, "Russ probably held the ball too long." That twenty-yard sack. It was like, "Russ, you look like me playing blitz with Jake Plummer." <laughs> yeah, you. Got, the thing is, is that his his um his reaction is never to go forward into the pocket, which is a lot of most other quarterbacks they climb the pocket. Right, except one of the ladder. sacks was on that. He slid up. That's, that's he okay, missed though. the block, and uh, I think that was Mayoa. That's, that's an okay sack, though, because you only lose like three yards and one down. Right. Uh, when you turn backwards, you run straight back. Then you can't even throw the ball past the line of scrimmage because you're just like so far back that you're just going to j- chuck it up. So he just takes like a 20-yard sack, and it's like, all right, dude, like whatever you want to do. And the thing is, the farther you drop back, the more you're putting pressure you're putting on your tackles. And I don't care if you're Dwayne Brown or if you're – the best tackle in the league, which, what are we saying? Is it still um, homeboy on the Browns? Are we still saying he's the best tackle no, in the league? Uh, he's still the first offensive tackle in NFL history. So, you know, if you're the first, you're the best. Yeah, Joe, Joe Thomas. Thomas. Joe, Joe Thomas. Thomas. All right, so Joe, So we're saying it's Joe Thomas. So then now, Joe, So even if you're Joe Thomas, it's, it's hard to block for a guy who's taking in a 14-step drop. It's just, <laughs> you're giving the defensive end a lot of room to work on the outside well, And Bevel starts you with a seven-step drop to begin with. You're already 10 yards yeah, back. And, the, and it's, a part of it's got to be play calling, right? A part of it has to be on the play caller where he's saying, hey, Russ, we want you to take a huge drop here, a five-step drop, a seven-step drop. This team is not built for seven-step drops. Okay, we we are not a, we don't have a bunch of speed demons on the outside. Let's start with that. We have a bunch of really good technical route runners with strong catch radiuses. So why not play to our strengths? Let's throw some short passes. Let's play some quick offense. We see these things work week after week, and then we completely abandon them for no reason, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, we short we throw short to set up the deep pass later in the game, and, and, and we're not doing that at all. No. Also, it, as th- you're saying, the play calling is playing into Russ's weakness. Those long drops are playing into Russ dropping even further back. Right. He it's like it's like already his instinct is to turn and run backwards, which is wrong. When you if you look when he turns and runs, Russ does something that's really interesting. He turns into the defender chasing him, which then makes the defender bite harder and Russ can usually get around. In that twenty yard sack, he turned towards the defender and the defender just ran in a straight line. Russ <laughs> tried to outrun him in a straight line and it didn't work. And so where where it looks smart in that situation, it looked ridiculous. Yeah, Demarcus Lawrence just was like, "No, nah, I'm not not doing that. Not falling for that trick." Like he was he was ready for it, you know. And one thing is that we we stuck with the run a little bit, even though it was very ineffective. You know, we had 20 running back runs in this game, uh, and nine Russ runs. I would say which five five or six were design plays to get him running the ball. Yeah, there are a couple of really good uh, uses of read options and RPOs. I thought Th- Thomas Rawls looked decent in this game. Like it was nice to see him on the field and somewhat effective. Uh, he made. I mean, he had one good 15 yard rush, and the rest was all trash. But the but it was good to see him like run and be effective. And I like would love to see old Thomas Rawls back, but pre injury Thomas Rawls when he was just fantastic. It'd be nice to have a guy who can spell Mike Davis and keep him from just getting the crap beat out of him. Yeah, I want to say that uh, Mike Davis actually had a good game. The stat line doesn't show it very well. He was fine. Uh, he had 25 yards on 15 carries. He had 30 yards after contact. Yeah, he was getting his yards after it. contact were greater than his yards. That says a big story about our offensive line. Yeah, the line uh, Jokel was uh, for me. I don't know. Maybe Kevin, you'll think of this differently. But for as as much stick as I like to give a Fetty, I thought Jokel was not very good in this game. I would uh, beg to differ. I thought Jokel had a very good game, like in the run game, particularly was bothering me. Like he was getting really pushed around by Demarcus Lawrence, and Lawrence I thought looked really good in this game. Like I was. I didn't. I did not thought much about him this season. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, like, like I just hadn't put much thought into like, what's Demarcus Lawrence up? He to? got dinged up, but he's had a really good season yeah, so I, far. And after I watched the game, I was like, this guy's a real NFL player. Like, I really think he's he's surprisingly decent. And 
Yeah, maybe Joko held up really good in the pass game. I wasn't really paying attention. I felt like he had an all right day in the run game too. I felt like uh, I felt like it was a lot. I, I didn't see Britt really holding his up again. Britt's been very concerning it for could me be, the back half of the season. It could be just that the inside that inside part of the line wasn't working. One thing that bugs me about the our inside linemen is I don't think they understand. I don't think the coaching is very. This is a coaching issue. I think again, the coaching doesn't teach them very well because like guys like like I'm the play I'm really thinking about this Marcus Lawrence play is that he like comes through the line and I feel like Jokel should have chipped him before he came in and then that will give Britt a chance to pick him up and instead Jokel goes straight to the second level doesn't touch him and then Britt doesn't ever get there because he's not very athletic and he's also <laughs> just a half step slow. He had some lower body injuries. Yeah, he's just he's, and not, he's not super quick to begin. He's with. not like thinking said, that Britt is probably fighting an injury at this point. Yeah, and so is Jokel, and that's part of it for me too. Is like these guys on the inside, like they're dinged up. They're playing good ish. I don't. The I think you're right on the coaching though. I think you're hitting they, they, it perfectly. They just don't understand where they're supposed to be 100 percent of the time, and I think it's it's got to be a coaching issue on some level. Or like, if they do understand where they're supposed to be, then the way that it's designed isn't designed with to, our offensive linemen. Right. In. They're not playing to their strengths. And what makes me think that that's the case is again, look at all the plays where we're asking Luke Wilson to block a defensive end. Luke okay. Wilson can't block a defensive or, end. Or what about Jimmy Graham? Who is was being asked to block sometimes out there on the it's edge? It's like watching yes. Doug Baldwin block. It's, it's like if we have one more play this season, and you've been saying it for weeks, Kevin. So credit to you for this. If we have one more game this season where Jimmy Graham's out there lead blocking, I might just turn the game off. I might have to walk away because it's, it's incredibly just, frustrating. It's just so frustrating. He's a wide receiver. Just get over it. It's over. Let Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson's a much better blocker, and I don't even think Luke Wilson's like a great blocker. Uh, I'm sorry. He's a much better blocker than Graham, and Vanette is a good blocker. So just get Vanette out there. Like, and we use him on lead blocking the least. And he's our best blocking tight end. It makes no sense. Yeah, I don't understand why he's out there running any lead blocks. It's super weird. Was McKissick banged up this game? Uh, I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure, but he didn't appear at all. In, yeah. In my in my stat sheet, he has um, f- two snaps only. That was he surprising. Was, he was not on the injury report. Yeah. And, he, and I know that they really wanted to get Rawls involved more. That's that's the only insider information I have. Yeah. It was a lot of ground and pound. Seemed to be the plan. Oh. It uh, it worked like we would have thought. Yeah, not good. This, yeah, yeah, that's how. The front seven for, for the Cowboys is not their problem. The, what you need to do is try to exploit their suspect secondary. And I, w- I felt like they took a couple shots up at Richardson kind of towards the beginning of the game, and then they, they never really went back to it. And both those times, Richardson nearly made a play. And I was like, okay, these are this is working. Like, we're building up to something here. And then it was like, nope, nope, never never happened. Nope. Our longest reception was 20 yards in the whole game. Like, yep. it, it just never – I thought for sure at some point we're going to get a long – pass to Paul we're gonna get a long play to Tyler Lockett or something something like that's gonna happen and it just it just didn't happen there are only four deep passes uh ball in the air for more than 15 yards I believe it is um four deep passes in the game yeah. that's weird like, that is not our normal and both game of the plan. ones that went to Paul man I thought like the first one he almost made the catch right the second yeah out of bounds and then, and then the, the second he was just the ball kind of tailed out of yeah. bounds I'll tell you that I'm gonna say this on this podcast watching Paul Richardson play that guy has top flight wide receiver potential and i really hope that other teams don't watch the tape and we can get him back for cheap gosh i'm willing to pay him because he's pretty good like and his catch radius is nuts like he makes plays on balls that i think like oh that's no way there's no way he's gonna get that it's just not possible and then he just snatches it out of the air grabs it out of the air he's pretty incredible um it's really really good stuff i would definitely see him getting like four to six million dollars next year he's played his way into a better contract than he probably he's would like have. uh when golden tate left we you know we bemoaned the abilities of golden tate and we've we've seen an improvement in that with paul richardson yeah richardson and lockett are, are give us everything we could hope for from from uh, a second golden and third tate. receiver yeah. yeah all right so those are those are uh that's pretty much all i have for the the offense um i thought Dwayne brown was good he's fine it's he a solid game he's tough out there we ask him to play a lot by himself Yep. Uh, which is which is uh, and then what's got to be frustrating for him is like the the plays where he does his job and they we still go up beside. He's like, dude, they rush three. You guys can double team the other guys and you still failed. That's what <laughs> I. That's got to be rough. I think him. to break the tie on the Jokel talk, um, Kevin, you said you liked his his game and the run this week. I think our run blocking as a whole, on average, is terrible. I think our pass blocking is improved from last season. I don't like Jokel as a pass blocker so much, especially when the line opens up, meaning like the the 
the long drop backs, which we do quite a bit. Uh, Dwayne Brown can take people one on one. I feel like when Jokel gets, you know, in the middle of the line, kind of starts to separate, and he has like an island. It's just like a. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to see because the middle line is packed, but when he's separated a little off the center, that's when Jokel does not shine. And I, I don't like the money we're paying Jokel. I also feel like maybe it's injury, maybe it's just that he's never been a great offensive lineman. I don't like Jokel on this team. And I think a lot of the problems we're having on the interior are scheme. Uh, I'll take on one of the sacks, and I, I can't remember which one it was um, off the top of my head. Uh, um, I th- it there's was only, one of the ones in the only, first half. There's only three. Yeah, it was one of the ones in the first half. Um, the The way the scheme was set up, I think you're talking about the Taco Charlton one. The one where it's yes. just like it just like was really horrible. Well, no, the Taco Charlton one was off of a Fetty, yeah. and he just split a Fetty and Posic and got well, in there. No, the, the guy on the left side was going to get there. Too. Then it was the then I think it was the Mayoi or Mayoa. Mayoa, yeah. Um, because the only other one's the Lawrence sack. So it was the Mayoa sack. Million yard sack. So what happened was, uh, Brown was supposed to kick out and have an isolation block. And the tight end was supposed to like run a trap block where he went around the backside of Brown and blocked the defensive end. It was really hard to see what the scheme was on the play because it was almost like it was designed to be a rolling pocket, but there was a lot of garbage happening on the left side. And it was very strange because theoretically we're a zone blocking team, which means you just have your area, you're blocking your area. But that's not really what we do. We have like these weird stunts. And I think a lot of that also has to do with like if you look frequently our running backs don't know where to where to help in protection. Frequently our tight ends don't know where to help in protection. Frequently our interior linemen don't seem to realize where the double team is needed or if they should be double teaming or if they should be on a different man. I think that that sentence right there is you're, you've summed up the problem. Well, and when you look at players like Brown, who's been very successful in other franchises, you look at players like Jokel, who's been a functioning NFL offensive lineman. You look at players like Abushi, who's been a starter, a functional lineman in a Here, zone blocking system. I'm going to say one other thing too. You look at guys like that go to for that used to be on our team that go to other teams and become Carpenter. effective NFL players. Um. You can even say J.R. Sweezy, which is a really sad thing. Who to looks say. a little better? And uh, I'm sorry, we sent a tight end, or excuse me, we sent a center to New Orleans who looks like a top five NFL center. Uh, Max Unger's looked really good in New yeah, Orleans. Their running game is amazing. Their running game is amazing, and he's a the biggest part of that in a lot of ways. And he looks better there than he did here. And he's more banged up than he was. He went through a couple injury years. He's a little older. He shouldn't look better right now, and he does. And that says a lot about our system. I feel like... Have, have we mentioned that we all think the cable needs to go? Has that been... Are, are we all clear on that, folks? I feel like Bevel needs to go, too. I mean, we started off with play calling on this topic, and our play calling is awful. And this goes back to, you know, we can erase the... I don't like this play that Bevel did, you know, when we were winning a lot of games. We're losing games, or in this this weird situation, we're winning a game 21 to 12 with less than 140 yards of offense. This should do nothing to erase your frustra- erase your frustrations with the offensive coaching staff. Correct. Everyone oh, who's still frustrated. Terrible. The only good thing the offense did was they finished somehow got 15 first downs despite <laughs> despite only getting 136 total yards. Yep, and they put together one time sucking drive that really only mattered because on the following drive, Dallas wasted a ton of time. Ending up with a missed field goal. Yeah, that and that drive where where Doug Baldwin broke their the own touchdown, back. That was a that was a, a game winning football drive. Yep, uh, they missed two consecutive field goals too, Dallas, uh, to end the game. If they make either one of those and then get the ball back, it's a totally different game, right? Like, so yeah, it's a uh, it's it is what it is. We we won. Well, so, so let's talk defense let's real talk quick because I really sure. think it's a good idea. Okay, um, I felt like the defense. The defense was ready with an answer every time something happened. Uh, Russ had that bad sack. Uh, Lawrence sacked him for 20-yard loss. It was terrible play. Um, ended up uh, giving them good field position. Yeah, that's the one where KJ had the fumble recovery. 
um, Coleman got called on the def- on the defensive pass interference way downfield and uh, gave up a huge chunk of yardage. Yeah, that was where uh, Deion Jordan and uh, Shaq Griffin both got a sack in back-to-back plays and stalled out uh, Dallas's drive. Uh, Bryant made that really uh, nice Shaq, play on a deep that's ball. That's Shaq Griffin yeah. sack, by the way. Ooh, boy. Yep. I love that sack. That was tasty. Ooh, it was, I, no one throws at Shaq now. It's, it's becoming a thing. People don't throw at Shaq Griffin. Oh, well, and you can throw at Maxwell. Then <laughs> I understand what you're saying, but, they, <laughs> yeah, give but yes, I agree. I agree. He did the one thing people, Maxwell's good at this game. People are not. People not are much. avoiding Shaq Griffin. Karate chopping balls. Oh, oh that Mac, that Maxwell punch. That was, was a that good was punch. Good stuff. And that's he used to do that for us. Um, that was kind of something he's. He's been really good at, and uh, I, I just like you could what, see. It's what you could see. I have one more two on that. He's okay. Go ahead. Uh, the last one is uh, Bryant had his one good play of the game. Caught that deep pass. Got, got KJ up and, picked it. Got up in Earl's face, and then the very yep. next play, KJ yeah. picked it off. The thing about him and Earl, the is, defense had answers to questions. I guess they're they're like best friends, so like they're probably talking so much smack to each other. Probably. Uh, because I know if me and Kevin played on opposite NFL Fact. football teams, there'd be a lot of trash talk. Uh, the, <laughs> we just uh, play on opposite sides of a like park game. But uh, there's a lot of trash Shaq, talk. Shaq Griffin. Okay, well, let's start with the punch. Let's start with the punch. Uh, you could just see Maxwell's eyes like light up when he noticed that Bryant was carrying the ball like that. He was just like, you don't bring that stuff in old man Byron Maxwell's house. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> like that. Don't bring that weak ball carrying trash in here. That's I am going to take that ball from you. Well, the best part is when you see guys usually do that, they wrap around and they try and punch it from they, behind. Yeah, punch from behind. Maxwell. So Kevin, Kevin has said the uh, last couple weeks, I'm really sick of Maxwell not covering and I'm just going to let you catch it and i'm going to tackle you well i don't know if you looked at that in slow motion but maxwell kind of like he's a slight guy like he's not a big guy des bryant is a big wide receiver yes he kind of turns to his side he makes himself smaller he looks like he's gonna get bulldozed and then he just smacks the ball out it was it was the most joyful thing i saw it was so funny (laughs) it's like wow this guy he's just gonna bulldoze smack it's over all right let's 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 be real at this point in the season uh, the combination of Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright is oh the God. absolute heart of the Seahawks defense. That having, was my other note. Having both of them back together, KJ was incredible. Yeah. KJ uh, was everywhere. KJ Wright proved why made he's a lot the of good pass plays. Um, KJ Wright was thrown at eight times. He allowed only three receptions for fifteen yards. Uh, he got the interception. He recovered the fumble. He was every bit elite in this he game. Got multi, he got a pressure in there, too. Him and Bobby played 100% sex. Bobby was good, not great. There were definitely plays where I was like, normal, full health Bobby Wagner closes that play out, and this Bobby Wagner's a little bit hurt. Is making the tackle after. Yeah. He's, he's, he's just... He's in Maxwell position. He's, he's trying to get there, but he can't... Like, when he got juked, or juked on the sideline, I was yeah. like, that never happens to Bobby Wagner normally. I do want to bring this up, though. What was it? In the third quarter, um, there was the pass over the middle to uh, Zeke, and... KJ just popped him. Yeah, absolutely leveled him. It would have been, it would have been a catch like right at the first down marker, and KJ just lit him up. And then there were two more plays before the end of the game. Zeke popped up with some alligator arms on a catch because he was getting led by that pass a little bit by Dak, and he heard some footsteps. It's and weird how alligator arms it because KJ was coming. It is weird and he knew happens. it was. It was what it was. What Cam's done for years to tight ends, and KJ was in Zeke's head on a couple of those pass plays because the man was everywhere. There were four players that had a hundred percent of snaps in this game, and they all played great. Bobby, KJ, McDougald, and Griffin. McDougald played very well in run coverage. I'm very, I'm very pleased with McDougald. I think that that he is as everything we could have asked for from a, from a four million dollar one year contract. He is giving us so much. For so for so little, uh, he should be relatively fresh for us too. From kind of being hidden all year, for yeah, right. a big part of there the was year. at the beginning of the year, I was like, "Where's McDougald, man? Why isn't he even getting on the field?" I it's because they were they knew that some our I get our safeties now, have yeah. been injury prone, and they were saving him. He was yep. like a secret weapon. 
that we were like, okay, well, if one of our safeties gets hurt, we're going to be 90% as good because uh, this guy's awesome. Will Hoyt only played 37% of snaps. Always a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That We did not see much of the uh, the third linebacker. We played more uh, the big nickel with the McDougal down in the box or uh, lots of Coleman. Coleman got, got in on 63%. Hey, man, yeah. and Coleman played very, very well. At Coleman this point in the season. Dude, that interception for the touchdown. That was, uh, that was, that was play of the game. Uh, that yeah. was a little Richard Sherman. Did you see what happened on oh, that yeah, play? Yeah, he totally Baited led him. Dropped yeah. back a little bit, had that underneath on Dez, forced the throw, and then Dak just airmailed it a little bit, and he was there well, he immediately, just waiting. He, he immediately followed the receiver and then backed off as mm-hmm. if to say, that I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, I really enjoyed how, um, or I should say, I've enjoyed how he has become the second best cornerback we have. Oh, I yeah. mean, Shaq has obviously stepped into that number one cornerback spot. As a rookie, I'm really happy with his development. But Coleman, that's that's a great acquisition. He's and an A plus nickel, and nickel corners are starters in today's yeah. NFL. And I we've really, talked about that all year. You're I right. really look forward to his future on this team. Yeah, he's he's like what we what we thought we were getting out of Lane. That's what Justin Coleman is. And Deshaun Shed appeared in this game only on special teams, but it was nice to see him back on the field. That's I'm a very, good sign. I'm very excited to see him get back in the flow of the game. I would love to see him work his way into competing with Maxwell, whether or not he. Uh, is going to be actually playing that position at the end of the day? I'm not sure. But but if we make the playoffs, there's a chance that he could come in and take a significant number of snaps yeah. as the other starting corner, and that could be really good for us. You're right. Uh, other positive for me, uh, I think Deion Jordan's the real deal. He's good at football. Uh, Another sack, and it was that was a real sack. That sack wasn't was a great. garbage time sack. No, he he got around the around the tackle, and then he like kind of adjusted, like he did almost like a jump step, like a half jump step, and then just wrapped Euro up step. Prescott. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was awesome. All right, let, I think I want you to talk my one negative. Oh, real quick, I, okay, I just want to heap a little, little last minute praise. Um, I thought that what made this game happen was the pass rush. I yeah, thought the front agreed. seven. We've been talking about it. But I really want to narrow in. The pass rush was all day. I We've been giving a hard time to our defensive coordinator lately. Um, he pressed the right buttons. I'm going to dial up a blitz. Yeah, did, that Shaq blitz was good. Coleman came in on a couple that were really good. Um, That's what a coach who can make adjustments can do for you, Kevin. That was nicely done. And I felt uh, Smith went out at left tackle um, early in the game. And Frank Clark had himself a day. He only had one sack, but he had six hurries. He had multiple quarterback hits. He had several run stops. Um, he really uh, dominated his side of the defensive line. Okay, I'm ready. Ready to hear my my thing. All right, here. I know where what we got. Going. Okay, one, Michael Bennett. Yes. Stop going off sides. Yeah. But two, why are you in the game so much? That Michael Bennett has been at his best when he does not play 92% of snaps. He was on the like field, 70%. He was on the field for an absurd amount of time. And yeah, of course he's trying to jump off sides because he's probably tired because they're not rotating the defensive linemen enough. Michael Bennett, when he was at his absolute apex for the Seahawks, he was only on the field for like six and a half, seven out of ten plays. Okay, and putting him on the field for nine out of ten plays is ridiculous. It was that seventy-two percent marker, wasn't it? We are asking for way too much out of Michael Bennett, and it is it, it, it it's making him press and overwork. And I think that's the reason he's like all loose on the crazy on the field and stuff. Like he's he's putting his heart and soul into this, and he's doing what the coaches ask him. The coach he's gonna say yes if the coaches say, "Hey, do you need to go want to go in on this play?" Or, "Hey, should you be on this play?" He's gonna say yes. It's their job to be like, you know what? We need to rest you for a couple plays so that you're fresh. Yep. on third downs or you're fresh for these this set of plays it's stupid you cannot have these defensive ends out there beating themselves up for 92 percent of plays i'm not going to fault bennett on this i it's not bennett's fault that he's struggling sometimes on defense because they're playing him way too much um the seahawks have kind of made their hay on rotating these defensive linemen a lot that's been a big thing throughout the whole pete carroll run and we need to get back to that and be smart Deion Jordan only played 45% of snaps. Why don't we suck a few snaps in there? He could be 55%. Garrison Smith. Can we get Garrison Smith on the field for more than 12 snaps? Like, Garrison Smith's not great. He's not Michael Bennett. But you know what? I'd rather have 100% Michael Bennett for more plays as opposed to tired Michael Bennett. Okay, that's that's my rant. That's the only negative I can think of is they need to keep him fresh because he's too important and he's too talented. To, for us to just like wear him out like that. We're going we're gonna to drive him into the ground and he's going to suck in the playoffs. Well, here's what it is. So we usually put him on the right side. 
run him up against the right tackle, and he'll beat the right tackle all day long. Now he plays inside. Now he plays He plays all over the line. But we've still been playing him on the right side. If you look, second straight game, we're giving up a lot of rush yards to the right. 14 carries for 61 yards. Yeah, on the rundowns, he is on the outside for sure. And so uh, out of 107 yards, 61 of them are to the right. Usually most runs will go up the middle. Um, average NFL team runs about half their run plays up the middle. So on... You know, maybe a third of their run plays. Uh, yeah, they were. They are getting Zeke Elliott ran eleven times for a, for fifty yards off right tackle and right end in this game. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with when you have Michael Bennett's tired. When you get tired, you lose discipline. You start getting penalties. You don't have contain. You're not hitting your lane the way that you should in run defense. And it's not like he doesn't know what to do. We've seen Michael Bennett. He's great. We yep. know he's great. They just need to keep him. They need to be smart about how they use him. He's 32 years old. Like it's not, it's not ridiculous to think that he needs to be used in a smarter, more intelligent way. So yeah, like, I could not agree more with your point there. All right. Well, I'm glad we're we're all in. And so now, that's it for that week. Uh, Blair Well, Blair Defense Walsh A watch. plus, offense F minus, special teams. Eh. Yeah, John Ryan was fine. He was good enough. They put him in bad situations, man. Why has he got to kick from his own end zone so much? We put Blair Walsh in the right situation though. Yeah, just kick I extra was, points, buddy. Man, I was certain he was going to miss that first extra point, and he did not. I was like, woo! Yeah, woo. Their, their, their kicker got the Walsh's, where he made two 50-plus yarders and then missed a bunch of 35-yarders. That was that was not a good thing. All right, the Seahawks will head in to their home stadium, right? It's a home game. Yeah, home game. To face the Arizona Cardinals in a must-win playoff situation. Because uh, let's... Let's be real. This is, I want to. This is win and to, in. I want to make it definitive. If we win and the Panthers win, we are in. We got to win. We can't lose. If we lose, it doesn't matter what happens in the other game. We lose. So we got to get there. Can what? What? Well, first let's let's talk about this Cardinals team. What does this Cardinals team do well? What are they good at? What are they bad at? Do you, uh, they're excellent at defending the run. Sucks to be them. We can't run anyway. Their their defense is actually just pretty good in general. That's, that's their defense a, is good. They have the tenth level pass coaching. defense. They have the number one run defense. Yeah. That's high level coaching to really knock our our running game down just to take away the strength of the Cardinals. Yes. Their offense just sucks. Well, the thing uh, is, they they still have Larry Fitzgerald though, and uh, they're very good at running everything everything through Larry Fitzgerald. Dude, they're yeah, off. They're they have the thirty second rank offensive uh, run yeah. game, and that has everything to do with their running backs. Their offensive line is a solid running offensive line. Their running backs have been garbage. Kevin, does that have year. everything to do with David Johnson going down with this? Yeah. Season David, that's quite the injury for them. David to have. Johnson was there was their offense, and then not only that, but then they lose Carson Palmer, which I mean, he was a shell of himself, but they had a still nightmare not- season. Really Still not good on the offensive side of the ball early. Uh, they lost their two, probably two of their three best skill position players. So then that that's going to do a lot to hurt your offense. Um, yep. But let me talk about the defense a little bit more. Is that their defense contains like who I think is the most wholly overrated player in the NFL, Patrick Peterson, where they are really good against well second wide receivers, other wide receivers, tight ends, but they are fifteenth against number one wide receivers, which they follow Bang with Patrick average. Peterson. And that he has a zero point zero percent DVOA, man. He is just the most average. And it's because he's feast or famine. And I would not be surprised if we saw Doug Baldwin this week have a feast against the, the as the number one wide receiver for the Seahawks. He is an incredible incredibly good and i think he can take advantage of patrick peterson who kind of over pursues he looks for the big play and that's what makes him great and also makes him get burned so that he averages out to be 0.0 percent right your uh your des bryant's of the world that's who patrick peterson makes hay on because if you try and be physically superior to patrick peterson you're not going to be able to do it very often you know maybe julio jones can maybe aj green can but Doug Baldwin's not going to out-physical him. He's going to out-technical him. And you can outthink Patrick Peterson. And you can force Patrick Peterson to outthink himself. And that's what Doug's done that in the past. Well, and how good has Doug been in the last few games? Not very good. He has, he's his not stats been, haven't been good, but he's been playing his role. Yeah, I mean, I'm, Doug's, Doug's doing his thing. But as far as his stats are, yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind of been absent. Will do. This will be the game where Doug can actually come out and be the MVP of the game. Yeah, well, if you think the Seahawks kicking game is bad, <laughs> let me tell you about the Arizona Cardinals kicking game. This is an area where we have a definitive advantage. This is the 29th-ranked special Yikes. teams unit in yeah. the NFL. And their kicker is 28 for 36 on field goals, including 10 of 14 from 30 to 39 yards. That's right, Phil Dawson has missed four kicks from between 30 and 39 yards, also three from 40 to 49 
this is one of the few teams where I'd say, okay, we definitely have a better kicker than them, and that is really uncommon. He can boot it far, but he's also missed three extra points, which is a lot. You might Walsh be going to yourself, Phil Dawson. That name's really familiar. Wasn't he quite good uh, on the Bengals? And the answer is yes. And the Browns, too. And the Browns, Ten yeah. years ago. Phil Dawson, Ten years ago, Phil Dawson he was is quite good. Forty-two years old, man. It's 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 a. Uh, um, did he play with Carson Palmer on the Bengals? He was not on the Bengals. He was what, on the I... he was in the Browns for thirteen years. Oh, I'm thinking of Shane Graham. Yeah, you're, you're just looking at orange teams in my the mistake. AFC. It's just orange AFC South, uh, North teams that mess with your head, man. He was in the 49ers for a few years after that, and he was actually pretty decent. Uh, he has a rule named after him. Uh, just so you know, the Phil Dawson rule. So can you summarize that quickly? It allows field goals and extra points to hit the uprights or crossbars to be reviewed because they missed a, (laughs) they missed a call, uh, on a definitive field goal that he kicked. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I don't think Arizona is really that good and it would be, their defense is good. This game might be close, but I would be pretty surprised if they came into our house and won. but I've said that before this season and then Washington came in and beat us. So whatever. I mean, all bets are off. The Seahawks team is all over the place. Some weeks I think we're great. Other weeks I think we're terrible. This week I think we're okay. You know, <laughs> and maybe you, that's right. Maybe that's right. Maybe we are just okay this year. When you talk to an older football fan, like a person who doesn't know what a stat is really, they'll say something like, it's going to come down to whatever team wanted it more, which is what I've, I've <laughs> always hated that. Having said that, this may be that game because the Seahawks obviously are playing for something. But the Cardinals never roll over for us because Bruce Arians is a dick. He hates us. Yeah. He hates us. And he, yeah, he hates everyone. Let's he hates be everyone. But here's the thing. He always talks about how, oh, we always win in that place, which is not accurate. But on top of that, this guy wants to beat this team. When he came in as head coach of the Cardinals, he circled the Seahawks as the team on the rise that we ha- that you'd have to beat because that was around, you know, when we, we took the NFC from the 49ers and, uh, and, and Harbaugh. I will say this. Arians never got traction as that great NFC West coach, you know, with Harbaugh falling aside and Pete Carroll being so good and Jeff Fisher being Jeff Fisher. Arians kind of was like propped up as this guy that he's going to be this really good coach. And he, we, we did analytics last year. He's not a good coach. His, tire, his players tire of him. This guy is still going to get his team up for this game. And I feel like this game will come down to a battle of the wills. You know what? And the last four times the Seahawks have played Arizona in in Seahawks Stadium, they're one and three. Eric, yes, that's one and three, not four, and not zero oh and four. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. I said not always happens. But look, yeah, and what was games, the wait, these, wait, what was the one win? Uh, we beat them nineteen to two three, years. November twenty third, twenty fourteen. Almost two years. It was uh, a lot of Hauschka field goals, <laughs> and then Cooper Helfet. Caught a 20 yard. Remember Cooper Helfet? He was yes, beautiful. I remember Cooper Model Helfet. Cooper Helfet. He, was, he was beautiful. He's an interesting player. All right. Um, okay. So that's a jaunt down memory lane. <laughs> when was the when was the sixty to or fifty six to nothing game or whatever that was? It was uh, fifty eight to zero. That was two thousand twelve, and that was uh, oh goodness. That was Ken Wisenhunt. So I felt that felt like barely it barely counts. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Uh, so yeah, since Arians has come in, they have been. Uh, one, they're three and one against us at, in here. They won the games by three, seven, and seven points. So they're all in close games. Like I said, all right, here we go. Let's get to picks. We've said the history. Arizona with a slight advantage in the historical matchup, but guess what? We've won. Th- we're three zero oh, and one in the Arians era in Arizona. So I guess it's all balancing out in the end. Uh, I'm gonna pick. And Hauska doesn't have to kick there anymore. Seahawks to win. We have a lot to play for. They'd have something to play for, but not. Not enough. I'm going to take the Seahawks to win 24 to 13. Kevin. Um, I think that their offensive line or their defense. Yeah, their offensive line is something that our defensive line could take advantage of. I think that Clark, Bennett, and Jordan could have themselves a pretty good game. I'm looking for some sacks here. I think that our front seven can control their offense. And it's going to be 21-10 Seattle. I don't want to put a reverse whammy on the Seahawks because they're big boys and they need to figure out if they want in the playoffs or not. I don't really know if our offense is going to come alive. The last few weeks have kind of been like, yeah, we're going to we're gonna score a lot of points this week. This is the week it happens. I don't know if it's going to happen. 
I like the Seahawks to win 17 to 9. And uh, that is with a uh, missed extra point by Phil Dawson. All right. We'll see you guys next week when the Seahawks head to Los Angeles to face the Rams. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Hey, we're 1 0 there this year. Yeah, seriously. All right. Here we go. So that's the Seahawks. be 2 0. That's the Seahawks. Uh, that's our last game of the regular season. Uh, I know we all will be sitting on pins and needles watching Carolina versus Atlanta. So I wanted to give a little a little uh, talk around of that game because I think it's an important game for us to talk about. So Carolina's eighth right now in DVOA. They're eleven and four. They're fifteenth on offense and eighth on defense. They're really good defense. They're an elite defense when their leader Luke Keekley plays, and he will be playing in this game. Atlanta is worse than us by every statistical measure. So every whatever you think about us, they're us with a slightly better offense and a much worse defense. Uh, Atlanta is ranked seventeenth in DVOA right now. Um, they're at home. Atlanta actually hasn't played that good at home this year. They're four and three at home. They've lost some real weird games at home, and they haven't been playing that good lately. I don't really like Atlanta in this game at all. Uh, Carolina has something to play for. They can still win a division championship with a Saints loss. Uh, the worst thing that can happen for the Seahawks is if New Orleans goes up by like forty in their game, and Carolina's like, "All right, let's pull the starters," uh, yeah, because they don't own the tiebreaker. So we're we got to root for the New Orleans Tampa Bay game to be competitive. Because if it's not, we're in big trouble. And New Orleans is very good. So I'm not sure that that could be a thing that happens. Uh, yep, that's that's my kind of mini report on that game. Kevin and Eric, you guys anything to add? Man, the Falcons are a weird team because last year they they looked unstoppable. And then... Yeah, that offense was crazy, right? Yeah, and their defense was above solid. It and was, the talent level of their offense actually went up this year. Yeah. And the production went way down. I don't... And I, I, I don't think you put it all on Sarkeesian. Maybe you can. This team is... Kyle Shanahan's a really good offensive coordinator. He really is, but at the same time, I the Falcons know what they're doing. They've been running that for years. They have the talent. It's not like you get stupid, throw the ball to Julio Jones. I feel like the Falcons <laughs> are... It's. I'm sorry, it's true. They have two great running backs. They've got a great receiving core. They have a quarterback that we like to make fun of, but... It's still a guy that you He's probably still a want to go to war quarterback, with. Top yes. 12 quarterback. I feel like this team has all the tools. Why they're not doing it this year, why their defense is all over the map as well. It's a highly dysfunctional team. It's I hate the Super Bowl hangover, but what else is it? I really want the Falcons to lose this game, but they they're the type of team like if they win this game and go to the playoffs, they will lose in the first round. What's oh, the old yeah. saying about the Super Bowl hangover? You end up missing the playoffs the next year. You know, even if the starters get pulled, I don't know. I could see Atlanta coming out and laying an egg. How does Matt that Ryan is very o- possible? How does Matt Ryan only have nineteen touchdowns this year? Like it's just it's just bizarre to me. Like and- he has the same amount of touchdowns as Deshaun Watson. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, think about that. Like th- that's crazy. How many does Jimmy Garoppolo have? Jimmy Garoppolo, my boy, t- touchdown Jesus. Well, he has like a lot very many pass attempts. He has way less than both of those guys. He has five touchdowns in four games. Overrated. Dude, he's so good, dude. He's completed almost 70% of his passes. QBR 82.1. That's nuts. Uh, how many yards per attempt? I don't know. I don't have that readily available. He's attempted uh, 137 passes and completed 1,040 yards, so pretty good. <laughs> like that's like That's like almost 10. His DVOA is 37.7. If he had enough to rank, that'd be the best by 10%. I don't want to make this the Jimmy Garoppolo podcast, so we're going to yes, stop this do. right now. I, I'm going to let you because no. I know that's all you want. He's just really good. That's what you want in life. He's not as good as Russell Wilson. I'm just going to say it right now. Seahawks fans, I love Russ still. Uh, all right. Kevin, Nathan's in denial as Bruce Arians is in denial about retiring at the end of this year. All right, Eric, take us to the money zone. Oh, you oh. can. Sp- nice. <laughs> Eric. All right. Now, yeah, hey, you can support us on Patreon. We have a. Uh, a very low rate of uh, confirmation that you love us. What is it? One thirty-six. One twenty-four. One twenty-four. What's the twenty-four? What are the twenty-four cents for? They're for Marshawn. Yeah, it, man. We went over the the penalty yards in the last game. It was like one forty-two, and that just stuck in my head forever. Uh, you can support us for a dollar twenty-four a month. That is less than a cup of coffee, or maybe it's more. Either way, it's a it's a small way of saying that you really support us, and we would appreciate if you do that. If you do that, we give you a Patreon-exclusive podcast every week during the regular season, Kevin. That's right. And also, we'll be looking at some monthly content in the off-season, possibly got, some I'm draft going stuff. There. I'm going there. Some things that uh, Nate's putting out. And the other thing is, quick shout-out to Arthur for upping that pledge, showing us a little bit more love. Thank you very much, Arthur. 
And yeah. we also have holiday-specific podcasts. I'm not leaving that out because I'll be damned if they're not the best holiday podcasts out there. We may even do a St. Paddy's Day one this year. I'll do any holiday. We may not, too. I just kind of threw that out there. Uh, you can give us a review on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. Uh, where else you find podcasts? Yeah, we... Uh, we appreciate the love on Facebook too. You can find us there. Uh, we respond to messages within four hours, quickly. Quickly, yeah. And uh, we we really like to interact with you. So if you disagree with anything we've said, uh, come at us. We're level headed and we're not assholes. Contact Eric at two zero six. Yeah, maybe you know if you if you pledge long enough, sure, we'll work that out. That's just for Michelle. <laughs> All right. Uh, what happened? I wasn't listening. I was just like, you we're know, used to it. We went. To I was reading. Zone. I was we're reading good. about. I was reading about movies. Um, yeah, well, did, take us to. to movie did you guys time. tell us how they can follow us too? We're good. Take us. Movie five time. star. Five star reviews yes. on iTunes. Did you yeah, do all that too? This. What about what about uh what about Stitcher? F- I said Stitch- Stitcher. We have Stitcher. I don't even know what Stitcher is, but you guys say it all the time. So yeah, we I said we, it. we are on, we are on Stitcher. Uh, that's a thing. All right. Well, let's um. You know, so sometimes there's directors and they're they're really bad or they're thought of as really bad, but they used to be pretty good okay and so we're going to talk about a director who now just blows things up for a living but you but and he's giving mark Wahlberg really nice paychecks which i appreciate because i love <laughs> mark Wahlberg. uh but now he used to be really good when he was directing movies like the rock where he just blew stuff up for a living hey you know no no yeah. no no that movie's not just explosions though no bro. it's like all it's only like 70 percent explosions. explosions and sean Connery. what about when sean connery's like throwing knives into people's necks and stuff like this movie's sweet those necks exploded i'm Nathan. just saying you can't say that this is completely stereo there's a scene where a lamborghini is chasing a hummer through san francisco this is very michael bay it's very michael bay but this is like when michael bay was still Tolerable. good like bad boys and then we had the rock and then it was like Armageddon. We're like, eh. and then it was just like downhill from there. Like no one likes that Pearl Harbor movie. <laughs> bad boy. Bad boys two is like a meme. It's not actually good. The island is kind of underrated. And then these Transformer movies are just trash. Um, we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk about Pain and Gain on the podcast someday. So I'll, I'll leave that one. I'll leave that one to the side. The Rock, though. Okay, we're talking about The Rock. The Rock. Let's just kind of explain it. Uh, Sean. I really Connery. liked him in the later uh, Fast and the Furious movies. What? Um, I think no, that, no, uh, not Kevin's Dwayne Johnson. Full wrestling. Oh, uh, I thought we were talking about The Rock. No, I'll, I'll, I call him by his full name, Dwayne Johnson. The movie The Rock, starring Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, with Ed Harris. Uh, really good cast. Yeah, this casting is awesome. Uh, this is like one of like how many movies did Connery really do after this? He really did kind of. Did, did he do Entrapment after this? He did like four more movies or four or five. And he then did, he announced his retirement from acting. What he did Entrapment? What else did he do? Come he on. He was John Fighting Patrick. Forrester. Finding Force. John Patrick Mason. Uh, in this one? Yeah, in this one, yeah. He, uh, he did uh, Indiana Jones, that new one. Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, man, that'll definitely make someone retire. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, followed by Indiana Jones. I forgot the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He actually, after League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he like kind of semi-retired. They got him out of retirement to make the in- new Indiana Jones. But... And he's like, this is why I stayed in retirement. Yeah, he's, a, he's a, got a cameo, I'm sure. I've never seen uh, He's going to be in Darby O'Gill and the Little People 2 coming up. You wish. Zardoz 3. They're just they Zardos three. You don't know Zardos two. Weekend at Zardos. Okay, so anyway, let's just talk about the Rock though, because that's the movie we're going to talk about. Uh, the main plot of the movie is like Sean Connor. What what would you say Sean Connery's character is like in this movie? What is his like? What is his job? He's just like a well, Sean Connery professional is badass. A, uh, Sean Connery, if I remember the story correctly, he is a British special operative who is imprisoned. By the United States government in uh, quasi-Guantanamo. But it's 1996, so they didn't talk about Guantanamo back then. Um, because he knew too much. But he also... He's a little rough around the edges. Yeah. Um, he has, They give him the full Hannibal Lecter treatment. Yeah, so then... And then he's teamed up with Nicolas Cage, who is a... Stanley Goodspeed. He's a dork. Uh, they... they Nicholas Cage says he intentionally like didn't ever swear in this movie because he thought it'd make the character like m- more ridiculous and believe like kind of believable and like a he's totally a dweeb. Yeah, he's an FBI lab nerd. Yeah, if I remember correctly. So they are trying to stop uh, basically like a uh, super virus, uh, mega AIDS. I don't know what it actually is. What is the actual? It's a <laughs> chemical weapon. It's, it's a chemical. <laughs> it's a chemical weapon. It, yeah, it's a bio weapon that Ed Harris's green. character is going to release on the city of San Francisco. 
Right. And so uh, he's in there because he knows how to, he's a, do- a dork that knows all about it. So he's going to he's going to save the um, there's so many. He's going to save the city. or whatever. And Sean Connery is the only man ever to successfully escape from Alcatraz, which oh, is, yeah, which is where Ed that. Harris is uh, has taken his rogue troop of the U.S. Army in order to send out their message because veterans are being mistreated or something, I think. This like, is the. This most... is all a VA hospital protest gone wrong. A lot of people don't didn't realize they it. took a bunch of the the tourist hostage too. I remember that. Yeah, this is this a is, really weird. It is the is most a... Michael Bay plot point that you saw before you knew what a Michael Bay plot. The point threads was. here are thin. You are right. He wants a hundred million dollars to give to all the Marines who were like on some mission that he was on that got messed up or something. I or, told you. Yeah, they like, died. I didn't or they make that up. It's it's a really like specific and odd plot point. Um. So yeah. Then so anyway, yeah, he's on that mission. But there's so many. Okay, let, let's talk about the the one-liners in this movie. You already uh, you already gave one, Kevin, right? Didn't you say? Uh, didn't you say one of uh, Sean Connery's great lines in this movie already? Oh, which one? There's so many. Okay, well, um, what about like winners? Winners? What do winners do, Kevin? Do you remember that? He says winner. <laughs> I can't see the line. He said winners go home and fuck the prom queen. And then in the movie they reveal that Nicholas Cage's wife was the prom queen. Losers always whine that they're the best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. And then he uh, oh he there's a part gosh. where he like throws a knife through a guy's throat and he's like that's why you always have to be aware or something like that. What does he say after that? And then later in the movie. Nicholas Cage is like uh, does the same thing. He like stabs the guy in the throat. He's like, "That's why you're always ready," or some bullshit like that. <laughs> There's just so many dumb uh, things in this movie. Uh, and then, okay, so then at the end of the movie, this is my this is why I kind of want to talk about it. At the end of the movie scene, it's just so ridiculous. It's so over the top, and I love it. When so they they get in the situation where they're gonna blow up the island with thermite because <laughs> to stop the to stop the bioweapon from spreading. Well, no, what's gonna happen is uh they they're gonna call in an airstrike. Right, right. They're gonna blow and it up with thermite. Carpet bomb. Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Yeah, of course. So, so I want to fully paint this picture. Right. Because if the Lamborghini Hummer chase isn't Michael Bay enough. This is Michael Bay. Enough. So anyway, these they showed it's Jim Caviezel in a, in an F eighteen, and then he's flying in. And it really is Jim Caviezel, by the way. You can look it up. So then they're flying in, and why and, wouldn't it be Jim? Caviezel? And then they're they're like gonna they're like oh, so if you see green flares, you don't blow it up because that means they got it right. They figured it out right. So then um, Nicholas Cage gets gets like infected by the bioweapon, so he has to stab himself in the heart so that he can. So that he can like not die. I don't remember exactly the science of it. It was really it's adrenaline. It's really stupid. Anyway, so he stabs himself in the heart and then he grabs the green flares and he just goes to the outside and it's like so dramatic. And then he like gets down on the his dramatic knees flyover and music too. Like, and he's just like holding the green flares outside of Alcatraz. It's one of the most incredible scenes ever put to cinema, <laughs> bar none. It was so great. It's in absolutely so ridiculous. You're it's right. It's so over the top. I love it so much. Yeah, but this it's it's more than enough. But he to watch also this movie. makes the moral decision at this time. To allow the unjustly captive Sean Connery to escape, to sneak oh, yeah. away, because he must have been a casualty of the events. No body to be found. <laughs> this is uh, the prime example why we love Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage has put up some good movies, good performances. Eh, I don't know. Good movies though, entertaining movies. Yes, and The Rock. Might be the last one. You know what I love about Nicolas Cage, and I disagree. There are other Nicolas Cage movies that came out after this that are good. He really you're going to say Face Off is. He's good always movie? doing a thing. Ichiro would. He's Nicolas Cage is always doing a thing, and uh, sometimes I like that thing, and sometimes I don't. But he's a character actor. He just doing, don't know what character he's going to pick. He's doing a he's doing a thing, and I and I appreciate that. Um, he look, he goes all out. I don't. I will make fun of Nicolas Cage because he's so bizarre. In his roles, in yes. his in his role choosing, and his performance as an actor, but man, he's he's like any actor who's been a big box office draw. There's something you, about. Them. You know what, Eric? You want me to name one at least one movie that I think I want you'll one say or is two good? from you? Yes. National Treasure. Oh, I forgot. I'm that sorry. movie's great. I don't care what anyone says. It's stupid. Also, it Gone in sixty so seconds dumb. is dumb fun. But I love heist movies. Heist movies are like catnip for Nathan, <laughs> and National Treasure is just a. a history dork heist movie through and through it's like somebody uh read a dan brown novel and like hey let's make this stupid and fun it is we're gonna Uh, steal the kick-ass declaration of eric and he was great in that movie and i love that movie yeah Um, 
I uh, love I love him in that. And of movie. course, why not Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance? Just kidding. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> All right, so that is um, the superior Ghost Rider film. By the way. <laughs> I've seen them I both. Hate you forever. Uh, all right, there. It's one movie. So anyway, Nicolas Cage though, he's awesome in this movie. Like he does a great job, and that I think it's weird because he's not over the top like he is in most of his other movies. You know, he does a good job like reining, reining it in and being <laughs> he's not over the top when he stabs himself in the chest. Dude, into the green I mean flares. that's just that's here. just what the scene required, bro. Green flares, green flares. Green yeah. flares. This this may not be back to what you started this. Country. Also, the chemical weapon is held in like these little green balls on strings, and he has oh, to pull. Yeah. Remember, he has to twist it and pull them out really carefully, and then one is rolling across the thing, and he has to like dive and grab it. It's definitely one of those like this is no way that anything would ever be designed. You're really caring at that point though when the ball is rolling. You're, you're like, invested. Oh, the super aids is gonna get out, well, and then they they do like the slow motion as he like reaches yeah. out to get it, and then. It's isn't there one scene where it actually rolls off the side? Yes. But then Sean Connery's character catches it. Yes, Because correct. he came back when yeah. you thought that he took off and took his chance at freedom. And he was, if you speed that up to normal speed and if it were real, he's like, well, this guy's not very careful. I better get you this. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, any other thoughts on Michael Bay, The Rock, Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery? Um, this succeeds because of the cast, not because of Michael Bay. I think I think that there's, there's an over-the-topness that Michael Bray Bay brought to this movie that um, kind of made it... Originally, this movie was supposed to be directed by, you know? Do you have a guess? Think I'm about movies that Jerry came out in the 90s. Jerry Bruckheimer. No. Okay. Jerry Bruckheimer, executive produced, though, I think. There you go. Uh, uh, give me a second. I have to think of the you can get name, this. and I'm this so is bad. It. The guy who did Con Air. Oh, wait. Wait, hold on. It's not a... It's, it's very, not, it's it's very not, guessable. It's not the guy who did Face Off, is it? It is. Best known for... The fan, true romance, unstoppable. Oh. Tony Scott, okay, really Scott's brother. All right, so I think he also did Top Gun, right? Didn't Tony Scott do Top Gun? I think he did. Okay, so then um, Simon West was who I was going for here. <laughs> uh, so yeah, all right. That's uh, that's our review of The Rock. That's our. Uh, I think it's underrated. I think the movie is underrated. Here's the thing: people it would say is... this movie is a four, and this movie is like a seven. No, it's eight. it's a dumb, fun. 90s action flick. I don't know anyone who hates this movie. The though. acting is better than like Broken Arrow. Oh, yeah, way better. Way better. The, stu- the, cast is the better. stupid is equally stupid, but it's just like it's basically take Broken Arrow and instead of everyone mailing it in, everyone gives their best effort. Well, yeah, Michael Bay and said, it's better cast. Michael Bay said he said the script was actually like pretty straight and serious, and they they brought a lot of the humorous moments into the film themselves in Which they improv. picked good people to do that. Right. They Again, worked as a Ed team. Ed Harris, uh, Sean Connery, and Nicholas of course, Cage. Nick Cage. Um, they're good people. If you want to bring a little levity to action, those are some good people to choose. Michael Bay said this is the favorite movie he ever made. That he's, his This is my movie. favorite movie of his. Yeah, it's his favorite movie that he ever made. Was a lot of directors rock. top out at their like between their first three movies, and this is what Michael Bay's second movie? It is his second movie. Bad Boys was his first movie. And Bad Boys is also really good. Bad Boys is is fun. It's fun. Don't get get it twisted. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered for Nicolas Cage's role in the film. Who? Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger Schwarzenegger. was considered for Nicolas Cage's role in the film. That would have definitely been way worse. That would have been a strange, strange movie. Uh, He was also considered. I am a scientist. He also was considered for Nicolas Cage's role in Face Off. Oh, I wish. Um, We look so much alike, Travolta. (laughs) It's based on a book? Um, however you feel about that. Um, I don't know how to read. That's that's basically all the trivia I feel like is interesting I'm, for here. That Arnold you know, couldn't do this movie. He was busy having a baby in junior. I don't. I don't know. Uh, Twenty five people get killed in this movie, so it's not too bloody. Just if you're wondering, except it's for, got a couple of pretty good shoot 'em up scenes. Except for that when that guy gets the knife to the throat. That's when Sean Connery knifes that dude in the throat. It's pretty intense. Uh, my favorite sequence in this is uh, when they first roll out Sean Connery's character, and they're in the five star hotel, and he's just manipulating the situation. Um, oh, yeah. Where they give him the haircut and doing all the other stuff. It's a very just over the top scenario. It's actually immediately before the aforementioned Lamborghini Hummer chase scene. Yeah, but it felt but like Sean a- Connery at his. Like old best, like it kind of what he establishes Sean Connery's character well. Yeah, and he is like an older James Bond in this movie too. Yes. He's doing that that thing. Uh, last thing, uh, Nicholas Cage and Ed Harris—they were the hero and the villain in the sequel to National Treasure, National Treasure: Book of Secrets, which uh, was also dumb fun. 
Uh, it's definitely worse than National Treasure, but still fine. It's, it's, it's a, like a six, but you're going to go in expecting a four. And when you go in expecting a four and you get a six, that's good. It's okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, four, Kevin Garber. Four, Gambit. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> Eric Ronderbeck. I'm Nathan Sano, and we'll see you next week. Go Hawks! Go Hawks!